This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's highlight show, we talked to Seth Partnow, director of North American Sports at StatsBomb, basketball guy, longtime analyst, insider, outsider, great observer on all things basketball. NBA season is underway. Seth is the perfect guy to get us going and already into the insights about the 2023-2024 season of basketball. Seth Partnow. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball here on SiriusXM, coming to you Tuesday morning, a few hours before our normal recording time. The show will go up Wednesday morning on SiriusXM, be replayed a few times over the course of the week. We'll also get the podcast up on Wednesday. This is Cade Massey hosting this week with the whole crew. Audie Weiner's here, Shane Jensen's here, Eric Bradlow's here, this is Cade Massey, and our guest is a frequent guest of the show, a favorite of the show, and a go-to resource for all matters basketball. Seth Partnow is joining us. Seth is currently the director of North American Sports at StatsBomb, which really got it started in the soccer world, but they're entering the bold world of North American football analytics. But Seth's got a background in basketball. He's got a great book called The Mid-Range Theory, The Mid-Range Theory, book out maybe two years ago. Is it 2022, 2020, 2022 um, release? Before that, Seth was director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's still up in the Milwaukee area. Good good morning to you. We're recording on usually Tuesday morning. Good morning, Seth. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, great to be here. Great to be here with all four of you. I think it's been a long time since I've been here with the whole crew. Well, we we tend to have a group of us, but not all that often four. So glad we have it for you. Good turnout for you. Um, we are, you know, these guys are kind of baseball nuts, but they real, real close behind that is football. And um, so this time of year, we're a little spun up on the football world. We are approaching really in the home stretch in college football, midseason NFL. And yet basketball started. These teams have played some games. We've seen some things. There are some storylines already. We figured it was time to talk to you to find out what your early impressions are of the NBA as you look around. What's got your attention so far in the NBA, Seth? Oh, we're not going to even talk about NCAAs, which kicked off last night. We're going to focus on NBA. What's your impression on the NBA side? Um, So three things jump out so far. One, the Nuggets have sort of picked up right where they left off. Um you know, sometimes you see a, a championship hangover. Uh, the Nuggets are like, this is fun. Playing this way is fun. We're going to keep playing this way, and we're just going to smash people, and we're going to keep doing that. And it's interesting. I mean, this is not – obviously, I'm more in the stat area, but it's the number of different players that have, you know, done – played different ways and and maybe had bigger roles and other, other teams that are like, hey, these are going to be the most fun years of my career because we're really good. I get to play with that guy. And we're gonna win it. We're gonna win another championship. And so, on some level, that's that's edifying to see players grow into and accept like being the best version of themselves for the kind of the the good of the whole. Um, that's so, one. So a couple, oh, sorry, a, couple a couple, couple follow ups on that. Can you give us an example of a player in the Nugget system that you're thinking about when you're talking about adapting to a different role? Um. Well, I would say both their starting forwards in Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Porter Jr. Had, has had a reputation of being kind of a conscienceless gunner, but really starting over the last couple of years um, has has really kind of accepted a role as a third, fourth option. And really starting last year, 
um, has improved his defense to the point where at one point, you know, in, in the early Jokic playoff runs, he was the target. And I would say there were there were games in the playoffs last season where he'd say Michael Porter Jr. played pretty well. He didn't make shots, but he played pretty well. And that's something that was uh, not something you would have ever said about him before then. And the other one's Aaron, Aaron Gordon, who um, has flirted with being the main guy on some Orlando teams and has now sort of really molded into being one of the elite role player kind of uh, Swiss army knife players in, in the league. And he's one of the ones who's been most vocal about, Hey, I've, I've, I've scored, I've, I've been a, a primary option on a bad team. This is so much better. So Seth, let me just ask you, I, I think I saw something last night that Jamal Murray is injured. And I don't know how serious the injury is. Did you read about that? I think he, uh, he definitely he didn't finish the, the game yesterday. He and, tweaked the hamstring. Okay. So it's not seen as something long run. But let me ask you a question. Is there ever a point? It's obviously way too early. But let's imagine he's out for a couple of weeks. And maybe the Nuggets only win 60% of their games instead of 80% of their games when he's out. Is there ever a point, do you think, where a team will say, look, we could rush Jamal Murray back and get the number one or two seed, or who cares? We know who we're going to be come playoff time. Why would we bother expending this energy on an already too long NBA regular season? I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. I think that the that a team at the Nuggets level who know they're going to be in the playoffs, know they're going to be a decent seed, know their season is going to be judged on May and June. Uh, I think that that the pattern in practice across the league for the last decade or more has been to be judicious with it. Is is getting him back 10 days early worth a win or two? Maybe. Uh, is that worth the risk of compromising the rest of the season and having him be healthy, full strength uh, at the playoffs? Not remotely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, we're only one point into Cess three points about the early NBA <laughs> season, but I have another follow-up question that was, we're analytics seat on this show. If you were to come up with measurements that that captured what's different about this nugget system. You you quoted players, you paraphrased players as saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna adapt a different role here because it's just more fun. You might just say they're winning. So great. Winning covers a lot of ills. We know that. But the system playing in the system like they have with the guy that they have and the way he assists, how would you operationalize capturing what they're doing that's different. If you were going to measure that team's style of play that tried to capture the reason it's fun for these guys, how would you do that? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think you would start to look at some sort of shot type data, some play type data. How much are they playing in isolation uh, and stuff like that? The other, the other thing is just by virtue of Jokic's positionality and how having the guy who can either be your your, your the the focus of your team on the interior or play anywhere out on the perimeter just allows for so many different things you can do from a movement standpoint. They're a team that that uses uh, cuts along the baseline uh, very well, and that that becomes much easier. Not to dive too deep into the X's and O's, but if your center can lift and play at the elbows, play at the top of the key, all of a sudden all the clutter that's kind of often around the basket, especially with a player like Jokic that you have to come out and guard um, that, that creates space for, for Porter jr. And, and Aaron Gordon to, to, you know, Oh, my guy's asleep. I'm just going to run to the rim. And I know this guy's going to hit me, even if he's looking 180 degrees in the other direction, seemingly. 
So let me, Seth, let me just say two metrics, actually, I've seen on this. And you tell me whether, go back to your bucks days or just think whether this would be valuable. One I've seen is um, when someone has a high expected score uh, for taking a shot, do they actually get the ball? The other I've seen is based on spacing, which is, um, you know, when a player is open, does a player get the ball? And so that would make me like, I may not get a lot of chances, but when I'm open and I hustle, I'd like the ball. And so I've actually seen some data that suggests the nuggets are excellent on those two metrics. But I don't know if you have any thoughts or when you were with the Bucks, maybe you guys didn't have spatial data back then, but wouldn't that be useful for that purpose, if not others? Eric, is this a little bit like, real quickly, just to clarify, is this a little bit like, does the quarterback find the right guy to pass it to? Which we've only begun to analyze. Okay, very good. Seth, and right. Seth's even. Yeah, by the way, for our, radio, for our listeners on here on SiriusXM, I was nodding yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I, have, I haven't actually done those studies, but it's been something I've been very interested in looking at. I think, I actually think I, I, remember asking Adi about, <laughs> about something along these lines a couple of years ago. Um, and, and, uh, the, the data at that point was difficult enough to work with that. I never really got well, anywhere with it. Uh, you had some good ideas and, and it was, I mean, it was, um, um, I think it was based on some research that, uh, Samir Desponde had done and he recommended I talk to you about it. Um, so, yeah, I think so. And it's also the, the flip side of that is some some things I have studied is there are particular actions on the floor. This is kind of like, I mean, the, the equivalent in football is a receiver who will, you know, run hard on a go route every time, even though the play isn't coming to them. Um, kind of a there, there are certain cuts you can make on a basketball floor that that create defensive movement that open other people up. But you might not get the ball a lot. The best example of this is uh, using the tracking data, um, uh, a center who, who kind of or a, a big man who sets a screen and dives hard to the rim might get the ball one in eight, one in 10 times he does that. Um, but committing to doing it hard every time, even though I'm not getting the ball has value. And so on a on a team, I have to think that on a team where those times that I'm open, I am getting it makes it easier to commit to yeah. making that play every time, even though you're not going to be open most of the time. That makes a lot of sense. That's helpful. All right. Let's let you move to your second observation about the early NBA season beyond the nuggets, nuggets picking up where they left off. Victor Wimbanyama is for absolute real. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, it's, it's, I think we, we talked about him some last time I was on the show, but uh, I had high expectations for him and, you know, it, it uh, defensively, it hasn't quite come together yet for the Spurs, but that's as much a function of them being uh, a young team with, with, I think players playing out of position at times. Uh, but in terms of his skill level, his ability to impact the game in so many different ways, um, it's it's the the you know the oh boy this is this is going to be a problem for a lot of people for a long time if he stays healthy. <laughs> so Seth, my 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 middle son Zach, who does a lot of work in analytics, work studied with Adi, got trained in it. He made a statement the other day that I, I just love your opinion whether you think this is a heretical statement. He he claims he thinks the Sixers should have traded Joel Embiid for the number one pick to get Wembenyama. He's that good in his opinion. And Embiid has a history of injury. Embiid is now 28 years old. 
how many more years does he have at the level he's playing? The Sixers are not near. Maybe this is one of your other observations. The Sixers aren't one of the elite teams, and therefore you're going to get three more good years of Embiid when the team is going to maybe should trust the process again. I'd love your thoughts on, is he that level? Uh, the Sixers have had a fantastic start to the season. Um, I think um, uh, yeah, yeah, well, wait until let's see what happens tomorrow yeah. night when they play the Celtics. Let's see what happens yeah. when they play your old team, the Bucks. Let's see what yeah. happens when they play the Nuggets. You know, they haven't they haven't had the most robust schedule, but they're playing really well. Uh, Embiid is, you know, playing at that level. Tyrese Maxey's playing at an all star level. Kelly Oubre has is looks like one of the signings of the offseason. He's a player who sat around uh, and had to take a minimum contract, basically. Um, and has been played the best basketball of his career so far. Um, so I wouldn't dismiss that immediately, their start. However, um, it's an interesting argument because I think they are a team that, as constructed, are good enough to win a title right now. I don't think that they are one of the top three or four favorites, but they have significant title equity this year. And do you trade that now for the really the the super duper star potential of Wembenyama. I think that's a tough question. It's an interesting argument. I I tend to think when you have a real chance of winning a, t- a championship, you do it. So I would say no to that for now, but it wouldn't if if the Sixers had started, you know, 2 and 5 and and looked like they were short on talent after after kind of the the Harden situation played out. I would take a long, hard think about it if it was hypothetically offered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, on on Women Yama, he's so young. And I was thinking about this with Jokic earlier, that Jokic seems to be the best player in the league right now. Is this the way we feel about it? And But he's like, how many? He did, last year was maybe his eighth season or so, something like that. What's the development curve? of basketball players in general, and there may be important variations, but in general, what's the development curve? What When do we expect them to peak? Because it's it's interesting to me that Jokic kept seemingly get better. Now, he has to get the right pieces around him. Coaches have to figure out how to use him. All that stuff is part of it. But if we take Jokic as like one example, then try to apply it to women, Yama, my God, I mean, the guy's a teenager. He's already doing things that other people aren't doing. And yet he's probably got, you know, eight years of development in front of him or some crazy thing. How do you think about development curves in, in NBA? And I what does it mean for a guy like that? So I think development curves are kind of a misnomer. I think it's if you aggregate across, you know, the the 300 top prospects, it's going to look a curve like a curve. In general, players have much more very discrete kind of step change levels of improvement. Uh, you talked about Jokic gradually getting better. I don't actually think so. I think he got... Um, sort of coming out of the bubble playoffs and that playoffs, he uh, basically the, the, the jazz defended him as if, okay, we know he's a great playmaker. We are going to try to make him be a scorer to beat us. And he had great success at that. They went on a nice run and he had been sort of a relu- guy who was somewhat reluctant to, I don't want to take every shot. And I don't know if it was that experience or what in his career, but since that point, his willingness to be a, I am going to score first and then use my passing. That is the thing that that over the last three years okay. has has um, you know there's been variations in how hell he's shot or whatever. But that I'm going to be a super aggressive offensive player for myself now mm-hmm. was a step change that t- took him from an all star mm-hmm. to an MVP level player. Mm-hmm. Super super interesting. 
A couple of questions for you, Seth. Um, I guess my first one was on Wembayama, just the regression to the mean idea. I mean, the, the, the number one pick is never expected to be the superstar that we project. So I, I was kind of with you on the Embiid, you know, non, non-trade. I hate to go against Zach. He's got such great intuition. Um, but, my, <laughs> but my question is, is that how does basketball, I mean, in some level we're talking about skill curves, growth curves, age curves. Um, I think of basketball as one of those, one, a sport where uh, everyone seems to get better for a, a long, kind of a while. And they last a little, you know, they last a while. It's not like football. That, I mean, obviously injury plays a bigger role there. Um, what is the various balance in your mind between brains and brawn, if you will? Uh, I think basketball, there's, I mean, almost what you're describing with, with Jokic is you just got smarter about playing the game. Um, and in other, in other sports, you just get bigger and stronger, um, maybe not faster. That, that kind of goes down, but definitely get bigger, stronger, wiser. Um, and basketball seems that, well, you don't get taller. Um, you probably get stronger. Um, but what do you, what, what's the, what is the relative role, I guess, with wisdom in basketball and, and compare that to other sports? I think the if the, the generally speaking, the research suggests that around age 27 is sort of where those kind of curves of athletic athleticism yeah. sort of like peaks early 20s, maybe, and then starts to drop off. But sort of feel wisdom skill level is is sort of tends to be increasing. That's the point where kind of you maximize across both in general. I think that we've seen is certainly this generation of kind of superstars for whatever reason, be it advances in training or just the nature of kind of a super, how a superstar driven sport like basketball can mold a team around a particular uh, player as they change their game. We've obviously seen LeBron be that level. He's, I think he's the last couple of years or maybe the first two where he's sort of maybe not a top five player, now a top 10, top 15 player, but still it's into his late thirties. Uh, Steph Curry is on the short list of players who could still be the best player in the league. It's uh, I think the general consensus would be Jokic, Giannis, Steph as the, as that's the argument you can have. Um, so, but, and he's well into his, his mid late thirties as well. So there are outliers who can kind of push it back. And I think that, that Jokic, not, not. I know we, you were talking about Wembenyama, but Jokic, because of how much of his sort of physicality and vision is 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 key to his greatness, as opposed to sort of explosiveness. My guess is he would. He's a player who is likely to age pretty well, even as he kind of hits gets hits the other side of that kind of you know twenty seven, twenty eight, gets into his thirties. All right, guys, let's give Seth his third. He said he had three observations about the young NBA season. What's and Eric wanted it to be the Sixers, but I'm guessing it's not the Sixers. What what is your third observation on the season so far? Uh, it, it's it's sort of bank shot the Sixers, and in the start of the season, oh, really? every everyone thought right. that the that the East was was kind of the the Bucks and Celtics. Celtics have been as advertised. The the there's a level of concern right now on uh, about the Bucks here. Um, and it's not so much the talent on the team. It's sort of, um, I would say, the best way to describe it is a little bit the growing pains of a first-year coach. Um, the the biggest thing that is is noticed is how some of their defensive stuff, despite relatively similar personnel. I mean, obviously switching out Drew Holiday, who might be the best point guard defender in the league, to Damian Lillard, who is not, has some effect. But but sort of structure of their defense has been worrisome in the early season, um, especially their transition defense, which is which it was was always a strength under Michael Budenholzer, and it's been 
probably the worst in the league uh, through two weeks of the season. And that's a, that is a concern. We don't often talk about persistence in quite this way. We think about persistence maybe between games or maybe between seasons, but what about over the course of a season? What qualities in an NBA team are most likely to persist through a season? Stuff we're seeing now that probably won't change. It is what it is versus what qualities of a team actually do evolve most. What are most malleable? So obviously I'm coming from this, like, can they fix this? We went in with such high expectations that literature got so much attention. Is this something that is fixable relative to other qualities of a, a team might have? So the part of it that's worrisome is like shooting percentages can can vary pretty wildly, take a long time to stabilize. I mean, some of the worry about the Bucks defense is opponents are shooting really well from three. Um, and that's something that, you know, you're getting you're getting hit a little bit by the negative variance stick there. However, yep. Yep. sort of structural factors, the kind of shots you're taking, the kinds of shots you're giving up, that tends to stabilize much more quickly into a season. So if there's okay. these sort of structural things that you're identifying, um, you know, uh, Ben Falk of, of Cleaning the Glass has a has a stat called Transition Plus, and it's essentially measuring, uh, you know, fast break points are one thing, but you would still get the ball in those possessions. So how many extra points, how many marginal points are you scoring or how many are you giving up by either getting out in transition or 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 not getting back in transition? And, and on some of those, uh, especially off of their own missed shots, the Bucks are are not only the worst team in the league, but are allowing twice as much kind of transition, Jeez. like over Jeez. two points per hundred, which is that's that we're, we're getting into five, six, seven wins a season in terms of expectation, okay. like worse than the, the 29th team in this area. So that's something that is a great cause for concern, I would say, even early in the season. Okay. But looking at that, like how many opportunities have they sort of had to display that in? I mean, you're looking at six games worth of data or, or, or like, like, I, I guess, how long do those kind of like, you know, kind of cool measures of, 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 of offensive, how long do those kind of take to stabilize or how, how many games into a season would you be like, no, this is a, a definitely a real thing. Well, so the, and there's two parts of that. One is that like sort of the opponent shooting in those situations is probably unsustainable, hotly high. At the and same very time, kind of, and obviously yeah. that's very determined yeah. by who they face so far and everything too. At the same time, like on average, a team will get a transition chance as defined uh, seven seconds or less from a rebound. About thirty percent of 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 defensive rebounds they get live ball defensive rebounds. Bucks are allowing up around forty five percent right now. And that's that's the worrying bit. Like shots okay. might go in, they might not go in. But if you're giving fifty percent extra chances, like that's that's a that's you, you're worried about that. Yeah, right. Big effect, small sample, but big effect. So so reasonable to con- be concerned. Seth, we got to get you out of here, man. That was wonderful. Appreciate the time. Wish you the best um, with all that you're doing. Stats bomb, and wish you the best with your basketball work. And even with those bucks up there in the north that they figured out sometime. But thanks for the time this morning. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me again. Seth Bartnell, director of North American Sports at Stats Bomb, author of the Mid-Range Theory, former director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks, frequent guest here on Wharton Moneyball. That's been the full show here on on uh Sirius XM, Wharton Moneyball from the whole crew, Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen, Eric Bradlow for the boss man, Maddie Dats and the associate boss man, Dion Simpkins. Appreciate y'all listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. <laughs>